to show that video because it begins to scratch at uh, how different the Bible's uh, understanding of heaven is from probably what popularly in culture we understand. Uh, I've talked before, so I won't do it at great length today, just about how the, the Philadelphia cream cheese kind of commercials have kind of been the example of what a lot of people picture when they think of heaven, where it's just white fluffy clouds and an angel sitting there with a harp or whatever. It's peaceful and tranquil, sure, but it, it seems in some ways kind of empty and just open. What really is there to, to look forward to in that, uh, except for more cream cheese? And, you know, in, in our, our popular understanding uh, in, within the world of what heaven is, you know, that's kind of the image that we have with angels flying around and so on. And, and that's really not the story uh, that the scriptures teach us. And, and we went through a long series just recently on Revelation. What it tells us is kind of uh, the ultimate goal and where this is all going that God is, is, is bringing us toward. What it means to, to experience heaven, which is God's presence, uh, you know, at the ultimate summation of this all. And I, I, myself, even as a pastor, as I was training, often found myself in conflict with what I had pictured for so many years, and then what I was actually reading in Scripture and understanding in commentaries and other sort of academic research. And I, I finally came upon, you know, a normal person out in the wild who got it. And it really, it really touched me, and it was powerful. I, I was a young pastor still. I'd like to think that I still am, actually. <laughs> but I'm probably starting to fool myself at this point. Um, but I was a young man, and I was uh, pastoring in New Brunswick. And I went into a hospital to visit a woman um, who was a part of the church. And, um, you know, we had had some light conversations, kind of in church mostly, um, but because of her age, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to interact with her. I was mostly working with youth at that time. But one of her grandchildren was in the youth group. And I knew her, and I knew her family, and I went to visit her. And as she was sort of coming to terms with the fact that she was at end of life, she was dealing with that whole situation in a way that was just so beautiful and, and mature. And I had just one of the most wonderful conversations with her I've ever had with somebody anticipating their own death. And she had been reflecting a lot on a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which talks about how uh, one day the earthly tense that we have, which is referring to our bodies, uh, will be replaced by something permanent, something beautiful, you know, like a, a, a house, so to speak, where God dwells. And she loved that because her body was breaking down. And she loved the thought that she was going to be with God. And this brought her great comfort. She was one of the first people who, I've, who I had seen at that point in my life who was very near to death and yet was not afraid, was overjoyed at the thought of being reunited with Jesus. And that was just so thrilling for me to see. And she was anticipating, as she said, her own resurrection how she would die, but yet would be raised to be with Jesus in life forever. And I found that so compelling and beautiful to see a real live human being just getting that and understanding that. Understanding the things that I had been taught and I was reading and understanding, but was not personally experiencing yet. And I was just so moved by her deep faith in that moment. 
And so what I want us to do now as, as we sort of come to that, and as we, we think about all the sort of cultural baggage that we might have of what heaven is really all about, and maybe it's in conflict with what you just saw in the video there, I want us to begin to consider for our last week of this series, what are the future things that we teach about as Christians? We're not going to touch on all of them. We, we simply can't. But I want to talk about the most important parts that frame the rest. Let's, let's go to it now. Sort of, I, I've often liked to give a bit of a, a, some, a, a detailed explanation that we'll break down as we go. But some of the future things that we anticipate as, uh, as Christians. This is our teaching. That there will be a last day and that at the last day Christ will return and all people will be raised and judged to eternal life or condemnation. That was really the focus and subject of last week. But to remind you, that's part of these future things. God's kingdom will be established to reign in peace and justice, and all things, all things will be renewed. Heaven and earth will be as one with God fully present. Now, popularly, we've had this idea that we leave earth to be with God in heaven. But what the Bible actually teaches us is that heaven is coming to earth, and that earth will be renewed into the way that God intended it to be, and that it will be beautiful. It will be a place of peace and justice, which we don't experience now, but we will when God is present fully here. Now, if you, if we're, if you were around during the Revelation series, that probably won't be new to you. If you, um, if you weren't, then you might be wondering, where in the world are you getting that? Let's go to it quickly. This is the passage uh, in Revelation that I think shapes... Uh, so much of this, but Revelation isn't the only place that talks about this. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. This is John, the revelator, uh, recording what he sees. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. We hear that theme just repeated over and over. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look. I am making everything new. Now, we've, as I've said, had a popular idea that we are going to escape or leave earth and go to the better place, which is heaven. And certainly it's true that after it's all comes with its ultimate conclusion, we will be in heaven, but heaven will be on earth. And that earth will be renewed. And it's hard for us to fully grasp what that means, of course. But I think it'll be awesome. And I I like to imagine that that means that the things about this world that you enjoy now, that are life-giving and thrilling, that you wish you could do more of, that we'll get to experience that all the more. C.S. Lewis, if you read any of his Narnia series in his book, The Last Battle, he describes a scene where the characters are running and running and running, and somehow as they run, they don't grow tired. They still feel that thrill of running, 
but there isn't the draining of energy in life. And that work, as I've said before, that when we work, work would feel so meaningful and life-giving to us that we'd be in that space of flow where hours pass without noticing. And I don't fully, I can't fully comprehend, I can only try to imagine what heaven on earth will be like, but I think it will be amazing. And to know God and to experience him fully face to face. And that incredible picture that we're given, albeit with all kinds of wonder and mystery to it, is what captivated the minds and the hearts and imaginations of the early Christians as well. And they had this deeply rooted faith that God was going to one day be amongst us all here permanently on earth. And that we would know that at Christ's return. And they looked to that day and it shaped their daily living. It shaped how they chose to live in their everyday moments, going to work, in their homes, raising kids, living, going about the marketplace, buying goods, selling goods. It shaped all of that. And so what we're going to do today is try to continue to have this sense of imagination of what God's heaven on earth will be like, ultimately, and and listen to what the scriptures were teaching about those Uh, that belief, and how it impacts daily life. So with that said, I want to take you to um, some verses here in 2 Corinthians. And they remind us how the future that we're anticipating there, with the new heaven and the new earth, has actually already begun now. And Paul is writing to the people in Corinth these words. It's coming in the middle, obviously, of, of all kinds of things that he's saying. But he says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So what Paul is trying to help us understand and help the people of Corinth understand is that when we follow Jesus, that new creation has already begun. And we believe this because in this context of this passage, what he's describing is Jesus was raised from the dead. And what that means is that resurrection of the dead that they had been anticipating at the end of time had actually already begun, and Jesus was the first one to be raised. And that when we believe in Jesus and when we trust him, when we are in Christ, we are also beginning that new creation life that we will see fully at the end of it all. This might be hard for us to understand, but keep walking with me, keep Keep tracking with me. This is the future now. And he also uses this image that I think is helpful for us in that sense. Because how does the future begin now? If it's the future, how is it here in the present? Well, this is a helpful illustration. In 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. What's that mean? Well, there's a lot going on here, but let's look at this last couple lines. He has placed the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he's promised us. What is heaven? 
Heaven is God's presence. What is the Holy Spirit? The presence of God. When we have the Holy Spirit within us, we are already beginning to participate in that fullness of what will come. We have, in part, what we will see in full. We already have it, and yet not yet fully. The image that's here about the first installment is like a down payment. In fact, other translations use the word down payment. Some of you um, are at the beginning of a, a home ownership journey. Some of you are at the end. I'm closer to the beginning in terms of my mortgage. But the moment that I made the down payment, I start talking about being a homeowner. Though if we're honest, the bank owns the house still. Similarly here, we have been given a down payment by God. The Holy Spirit is a sign that God will come good on this. That what he's promised will come in the future is ours already now. Now, for all practical purposes, I get to make all the decisions about my house. I'm also responsible for all the upkeep, unfortunately. Uh, I've said many times, I actually have a bit of like this dream of being like, you know, of retirement age where I can move into one of those apartment buildings where someone else does my lawn mowing and someone else does like all my, my, my snow shoveling. And someone said to me, well, you know, you could just hire someone to mow your lawn and to shovel your snow. And I was like... If you have the money, you can. (laughs) But God has given us a down payment. We have already begun to receive what will be ours fully, eventually. When will that happen? We don't know. We talked about that sense of mystery and the timing. But it is coming. And, And Christians have this certainty that God's ultimate future will come about for us. And that because God has given us his presence, his Holy Spirit now we can be certain that that will come fully later. So what else has he done here in this verse? God, who enables us to stand firm for Christ, the Holy Spirit, allows us to continue to be in a relationship with God. He has commissioned us, which is he sent us out on a mission. And he's identified us as his own by placing the Spirit in our hearts. Now, the image here with commissioning and identifying us as his own is uh, the language of anointing. He has anointed us. Now, you're probably not familiar with anointing unless you're familiar with it from the Old Testament or something. But anointing is what you do for a king. It's what you do for a priest. And anointing is, you know, it's usually done by pouring oil on the forehead, on the top of the head. And that oil is a sign of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit being present with us, flowing down over us. Not dissimilar from what we talked about with Pentecost a couple of weeks ago, where the tongues of fire rested upon them and they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time. So between these two images, how do we know that the future has begun? Well, the first image is Christ's resurrection. That's a sign of the future already now. The second image that we know the future has begun now is that we have the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, the story of Pentecost. So between resurrection and Pentecost, we have seen that that future time where God's presence will be fully known is already coming about. And so as Christians, we want to live in anticipation of that coming by beginning to practice that future now. 
And so what, to, what we're going to do is we're going to look now at the, the teachings and the writings of Peter in some of his letters. We could look at other uh, passages and other uh, writings, but I thought just for the sake of having some focus, we'll look at Peter and what he said about this. Peter is the one who on that Pentecost Sunday stood up to preach and to explain what was going on with the Holy Spirit. So Peter's got some authority on this subject. Let's look at what Peter is saying here. He gives us a call to hope. When we think about that certain future that has already begun now, we have a call to hope. And 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 6 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So here we are once again. We have this sense of the future coming and the future promises being real now because... He has been raised from the dead. So now, Peter writes, now we live with great expectation, which is hope. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Now, Peter is writing to people who are in the context of great suffering and difficulty. But what he is reminding them is, we aren't that far off of the future coming real. And because we're suffering now is no reason to turn away from God, because he has already shown us his final hand. He's already revealed he is at work to bring about victory. And these sufferings are real and difficult now, but we have a real hope that is even greater. And so Peter is reminding them, keep your hope in Jesus. Be certain of that. And we can have joy because of that. No matter what's going on around us, we can have hope and we can experience life today. Our circumstances don't have to define how we live as people. We have a real cause for hope, a priceless inheritance that's coming. You know, if I were to sort of be living in anticipation of a great inheritance coming my way, if I had a couple of days where I had trouble, you know, buying my groceries or paying for the, the rent, it would be difficult. But I would say, okay, keep going, keep pushing, because that money is coming. That inheritance is coming. My future hope is secure. I just have to get through today. It doesn't mean that today gets a tremendous amount easier, but it gives us a sense of what we can work for and look for, and it keeps our perspective on what's greater. So as Peter writes to remind the believers then and us now, we live with a great expectation, a great inheritance that is ours, and it's all been secured because Jesus rose from the dead. So the future that we anticipate is ours already now. So we can live in a different way. The next that we we read is a call to repentance, which also reminds us of a sense of mission for us. This is now from uh, Peter's second letter, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, 
He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. So as we wait and, and look to that day where God's future will become here and now, we could do sense, so with a sense of impatience or a sense of frustration. Why doesn't he just make it happen? Or we could have the perspective that he is somehow being very gracious towards us and that he is longing for each and every person to turn back to him in repentance so that as his coming, they would spend eternity with him. So my question for you first is, are you living in a right relationship with the Lord? Are you living by your own desires, as it says here, following your own desires, or are you seeking to pursue and to follow the desires and intentions, the will of Jesus? If you are following a path of your own desires, the Bible's teaching is that that will lead you to destruction and to pain and to further suffering that's needless. And Jesus is calling you, calling to you, saying, repent, turn around, turn back to me. Receive my forgiveness, receive my life, and live with me forever. Have you heard that call upon your life? And have you responded? But furthermore, For the rest of us, if you have done so, the question now becomes, what are you doing to help ensure that those who are in need of repentance might hear that call? What can you do? How can you share that story of the gospel, of the good news, that others might see the life and the love of Jesus and respond? So the future, the anticipation of what is coming, calls us first to repent, but then once we have, to to turn around to those around us and say, be reconciled to God. Turn to God now. Seek him for life. Next, there's a call to holiness. As we're waiting for God's future now, and yet living with it already begun, the Spirit enables us to live in a new way. And here in 2 Peter 3, 13-14, this is just a couple of verses after what I just read a moment ago. It says, but we, so in contrast to those who are sort of grumbling and scoffing, Peter writes, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, While you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. If the Spirit of God is within us now, it is enabling us to live like him, like Jesus. And if the Spirit is within us now, there is nothing we do or say that is out of his sight. Now, That's true regardless of whether his spirit is present within us, but all the more so. So we should make every effort to be found living peaceful lives. That's not just doing nothing. That's not just simply being quiet, but that means working for peace, building peace, establishing peaceful relationships with those we are in conflict with, doing our best however, as much as it's in our ability to be peacemakers, to live at peace with everyone. And so Peter is reminding us that in light of the future, 
where there will be the righteousness of God fully present amongst us, where God's life is here, in light of that, we need to start living now as if we are in the future. We need to live in a way that's peaceful and pure and blameless in his sight. And so the call of the future upon our lives is to live with a sense of holiness. We could say that uh, in, in, in a different way. We could say that we live God's way. Because holiness is kind of a word we don't use outside of the church very often. Unless you're Justin Bieber. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. It's okay. Just ask a young person. But we have a call to holiness because of what the future implies for today. What it means for us today. Let's go to the next. The next call upon our lives is for love and service. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-10, through 10, Again, he's looking at that future time and and anticipating what it means for how we live today. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Have you made that connection before? That because Jesus is coming back, you should invite people into your homes. Have you made the connection that somehow Jesus' return and the future things of the new heaven and earth means that we ought to love the people around us today? For Peter, that was a one-to-one connection. You know, the end of the world is coming soon. So, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. That future reality that God is bringing about is so real and so massively important to his understanding that it affects everything he does now. Likewise, we as people of faith need to live with an anticipation that God's presence amongst us is something we can experience now, and that we should be working towards in the way that we treat other people, the way that we live, the way that we work to build peace, the way that we work to bring wholeness, to welcome other people in, to experience the love of God fully, even now amongst us. In fact, there's a wonderful passage in in 1 John where it says that when we uh, love one another, God's love is fully present within us. We know God. And we can't know God's love if we aren't loving other people, it even says. So here Peter is saying, what what do we do in light of that future coming? We love one another. We care for one another. We provide for each other. There's another passage in Philippians 3. I haven't put it on the screen, but it references the idea of living as citizens of heaven. And the, the, the image that's being given there is that of the Roman colonization that happened. And so what the Romans would do whenever they conquered a new territory as part of the sort of ruling that place is they would just have some of their Roman citizens come and start building homes, uh, farming and doing all that, living their lives and beginning to just sort of create influence within that culture. Now, that was obviously a conquering nation and the word colonialism these days has all kinds of negative implications because of the use of power and force upon someone else to subjugate them. But the image that's being given here is that we're to be living as citizens of heaven. That future is something that we're living out now in the world around us. 
So we are from the future as Christians. We are from the future living out that future hope now in a world that is hostile towards us. So within the world, what we do, we are a colony of God, living life God's way with his presence in us. And as we live, we have influence on the culture and the people around us, shaping and redefining what it looks like here. And so that image takes sort of a negative thing, but something they were very familiar with, and it says it in a positive way. We're like that. We're like bringing a a colony of heaven here on earth. That's what we're meant to be as a church. That's what we're meant to be as individuals. We represent something else here. It's a call to love and service. When we do that, it also means that the things we are doing here on earth that bring life, that care for one another, those are eternal things. That they have significance and meaning. That when you care for somebody else and you invite them in your home, that that lasts for an eternity. That that isn't seen as a small thing to God when you care for another person. When you build something that's beautiful, it has an eternal quality to it. When you love someone, when you care for them, when you build and do. And I love how N.T. Wright puts this. Here's a quote from him on the screen. Incidentally, I'll mention his book, Surprised by Hope, which this quote comes from, is a fantastic book on living now in light of the future. And it's, it's not too heavily academic. It might challenge you a little more beyond uh, some other things you might read you know, from the, the Christian bookstore. But it is wonderful in how it fully articulates a picture of living now in light of the future. This is what he writes. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly. He's he's English, if you don't know. And and the whole time I've been reading this, I can hear his voice in my head. Do you ever have that happen when you're reading a book? These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind together. No, they are part of what we might call building for God's kingdom. Now, we don't create God's kingdom. His kingdom is. But we build for it. We adorn it. We add color and texture to it. And we flesh it out here on earth as citizens of heaven living amongst this world. And so what Peter has been reminding us and what now N.T. Wright has said is that the everyday moments where we build for God, when we love one another, when we care for the things of this world and create beauty and goodness in this world, it is lasting and life-giving and it is honoring to God. And even something as simple as sewing or, or being a parent to those kids on those difficult days or, or showing up for work on time and caring for the people that you work with, all of those little things are meaningful in the kingdom of God. And they are signs of the future being revealed now. 
And when we live out that future here and now where God's presence is real, then our anointing from the Holy Spirit means that we are priests. Priests from the future here and now. That we are ruling and reigning like we will in the future here and now in a way that is holy and divine and spreads the life of God amongst us. Kingdom of God, I've often said, in the most simplest of terms, is where God is present and life is lived God's way. That future kingdom will be in fullness at the end, but we can live that way now. And when we do so, we, like Jesus, will say the words, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. And as people are close to us and see a new way of living, a new presence, a new life within us, it gives them a sense of hope when these days are difficult. It gives them a sense of the reality that is beyond what we can see. A truth that is stronger and more secure than the truth, quote-unquote, that the world teaches that fades away. Instead, we have a hope that is certain, a reality that is sure, a future that is even present now. What a wonderful thing it is to imagine what that's like, how beautiful it is. And I think back to Barb, I think back to those moments that I shared with her in that hospital room where she looked with eager anticipation for the day that was coming where she would see Jesus face to face, where her earthly tent would be destroyed, yes, but she would have an eternal home with Jesus. And the joy that was on her face, knowing she was about to die. But not only what that meant for her, how it made me feel to be in her presence as she felt that way, and as she anticipated that fullness of God's presence in her own life. What joy that was for me to experience. And it was only a short time later that I read words from John 11 at her funeral. Words that I have read at almost every funeral since. And I ask these words when I get to those moments. I say, where do you find your hope? Because our world has all kinds of places that we look for hope when things are dark and difficult. But if you're not looking for your hope in a place that is lasting, in one who is as sure as Jesus, then you will be disappointed and discouraged. But look to a life that is found in one who cannot be destroyed, who is greater than death, and you will have joy that's eternal. And these are the words from John 11, where Jesus is going to meet with his friends, Mary and Martha, as their friend, their brother, and Jesus' friend, Lazarus, has died. They wanted Jesus to come earlier. They wanted him to come and save Lazarus, to be, work one of his miracles, to bring life to him so that he wouldn't die at all. But Jesus shows up and Lazarus is already in the tomb. And he starts to talk to Mary and Martha and he starts to talk about what they believe and how it impacts how they live. You, you can imagine with me just how absolutely broken and devastated they are in this moment as they have this conversation. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. 
Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And it's a moment like a death where what we believe matters to how we live. It's the moment like that where we are struggling and life is all but gone. Where we realize that what we believe matters. And here Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection. That the future hope you have is here and now. And I am your source of life today. Now in this moment, Jesus then does a miracle and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But far greater for us today to put our hope in Jesus who has power over death. Do you believe this? And is it shaping the way that you live? Where do you find your hope? And I pray that you would find it in him who is life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come for us. That you aren't too late. You aren't taking too long. You are patient with us for our benefit and for our sake. You are allowing us time to repent and to turn to you. You are giving us time to share the good news of who you are and what you've done with others. You are calling us to a sense of holiness in how we live. To a sense of mission. You are empowering us by the power and presence of your Spirit within us to live in a new way, to love, to serve one another, to bear witness to the kingdom, to build for the kingdom with the small, simple acts and the great, grand ones as well. We pray with you that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that your presence would be known amongst us and in us and through us, And that the life that you have would be ours, now and forevermore. You are our certain hope, and we trust in you. Amen.